Well, hey, um, if you are brand new to Shine Church, as Ashley said, sit back and enjoy what God has for you. Just to give you a little warning, we are very interactive, and this message in particular is going to be very interactive. We're going to pass microphones around, um, we're going to ask questions, and so for everybody, I'm just going to ask you to be bold and be open to receive from the Holy Spirit, and if he asks you to speak, when those times come up, would you be willing to do so? We never make anybody speak, but we, uh, we man, we benefit from the body of Christ, Amen. When people share their insight and what the Holy Spirit is doing in them, and I think it's going to be really good. Real quick review: We have felt like for this year that the kind of the word for shine. I know Mark Marble taught a couple weekends ago about an individual word. We believe as a teaching team and leadership of the church that the word for the for the year for shine, or at least for the beginning, is overflow. Last year was come with me, the invitation that Jesus would extend to all of us to follow him, to walk with him. This year, we believe that Jesus is kind of turning that around and saying, hey, as you are filled up with me, would you please overflow into your world? That's what our world needs, yes? The world needs Jesus, amen? And I don't know why God does it, but he uses us. He uses us to bring him into a hurt world. And so that's kind of the whole theme. Pastor DJ kicked us off with a message that talked about that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Justin did an incredible job the next week talking about the fact that streams of living water flow from us. And Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit in us. When we ask him to come into our lives, that's what happens is we get filled up with him and streams of living water flows from us. And then Mark a couple of weeks ago, as I said, talked about having a word because when we get a word from the Lord, it gives us something to, to move forward and move towards in regards to our relationship with the Lord. And I love the fact, I don't know if he did it both Saturday and Sunday, but I love the fact that Mark on Sunday started pointing to people and just saying, I need you to be a good Christ follower. I need you to be a good Christ follower. I need you to be a good Christ follower because it helps me be a better Christ follower. We do this together, church. We do this together. And so as we were talking about what the next little mini-series within Overflow would be, the teaching team really came up with the idea uh, and the thought that we need to understand as a church the kingdom. The kingdom. We refer to it all the time, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We refer to it all the time. As a matter of fact, in just a minute, I'll show you, Jesus spoke about it all the time. He, he spoke about the kingdom so many different times throughout the gospels, we just have it recorded over and over and over him speaking about the kingdom. And so we're gonna get into it, we're gonna dwell into it, we're gonna define it, and we're gonna take a look at it. And for the next, actually all the way up until Easter, can you believe we're talking about Easter already? <laughs> um, Easter comes at the end of March and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the kingdom. And so my job today is to give kind of an intro to this little mini series in this theme of overflow. So will you open your hearts and will you open your minds to receive what God would have you have for you in regards to the kingdom. Now, here's some really cool things that I've been seeing in the last month or so. People are starting to overflow. Uh, we have had two spontaneous worship nights. One on New Year's Eve, which was amazing. The day before New Year's Eve, somebody said, hey, can we do a worship night? We had 50 to 60 people at the Stones house that just came spontaneously. It was amazing. The youth did a worship night that we didn't even have on the calendar, and they had, they had twice as many youth in the room here than they do on Saturday night. 
It's absolutely amazing. I'm hearing stories of people inviting people from circles that are outside of Shine Church, bringing them into their home and just making them feel loved and, and let them know that they are known. I've got people that are inviting other people over from Shine Church that maybe, be, maybe are a little, uh, little disconnected or maybe a little on the fringe and yet they're being invited over to people's houses. Church, I'm so proud of Shine because you guys are overflowing. We're already seeing it. It's already something that God is starting to stir. There's something else going on, though, in our community. As many of you know, I lead a group of pastors that pray every single week. And in the last two weeks in particular, we've had new pastors come that are getting ready to plant churches in our community. And you know what? When we talk about the kingdom, it's so much more than Shine Church. It's about the kingdom of God in this community and ultimately in this world, amen? And we need to work together because we all make the body of Christ, yes? We're honored to have actually one of those couples right here, Drew Land and his wife. Is it, it's Megan, right? Yes, Drew and Megan and their family. They're starting a church this fall uh, in Castle Rock, so give them a hand. Had another pastor come that was starting in Elizabeth. Um, and so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna open up and I'm gonna ask God to communicate through me in regards to the kingdom. But I also wanna pray for these guys and for those that are starting uh, churches in the community, amen? Because the kingdom of God, God gets glory when, when new churches are planted, amen? Proud of you guys, it's awesome. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, we come before you and as, uh, as Caleb was just singing, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And when we speak about courts, Lord, help us to rightly understand what that is. The court is a place where the king resides. And so, Lord, we want to, we want to recognize that the best place to be is where you are, in your courts. Because one day in your courts is better than thousands elsewhere. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that and help us to realize that the kingdom is so much bigger than just one church. It's about the body of Christ and all the churches in a collective group coming together, lifting you up and giving you glory. And so Lord, we lift up Drew and Megan and their family and we pray that you would begin to anoint them and you would begin to speak to them. You would speak life over them. God, I pray that you would begin to stir such a, a great mission and vision in their hearts that they cannot get away from it. God, I pray that you would bring people into their church, that even now as they are preparing for their start in the fall, God, that you would prepare the hearts of people that need to go with them and be a part of their fellowship and a part of their family. Lord, we thank you that you are doing new works in this community and ask that you would just anoint them and that you would empower them to bring many to come to know you. I believe 85% of Castle Rock doesn't know you from the statistics I've heard. And so, Lord, we pray that that number would go drastically down as these church plans take place. Lord, speak through me tonight, or this morning. God, I pray that you would use me to communicate your heart for your kingdom. And, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have for us this morning. And, Lord, we thank you for these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, as I said, I'm introducing the Kingdom little mini-series. I want to read um, several little scriptures real quick. I'm going to fly through these pretty quickly. If you want to follow along, you can scan that QR code. The notes will be there. You can follow along with the notes. The word kingdom, just in a quick study, it's used 594 times throughout the Bible. That's a lot. 
It's used 163 times in the New Testament. And in the book of Matthew, it's used 56 times just in the book of Matthew. And so let me give you some instances where kingdom is used. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the? I'm going to try that again. Of the? And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, a lot of times we pray that prayer. God, let us partner with you bringing heaven here to earth. But it says for that to happen, we have to understand that his kingdom needs to come. So it's really important we understand what kingdom is, yes? Because if we want heaven to come here on earth, well, it says that his kingdom needs to come and his will needs to be done. Matthew 9, 35, it's gonna sound a whole lot like Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. As a matter of fact, it's almost word for word. <laughs> Matthew 12, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Well, that's a really important one. Obviously, he's responding to the Pharisees who are saying, you're driving, you're driving these demons out, you're doing these miracles through the spirit of the enemy. And, and he was like, how can that be when a kingdom is divided? It just can't happen that way. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, interesting, this is the beginning of the description of the parable of the seed that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And I don't have enough time this morning to go into that, but I do find it very interesting that he shares with us that when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, how important is it to understand the kingdom? According to Jesus, it's really important because if we don't understand it, then guess what? The enemy comes, uses that misunderstanding and snatches out what God would have for us. Really important to understand what the kingdom is. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. This is one of the messages that says, hey, we need to go out into the world. We need to share the love of Jesus Christ so that every ear can hear so that Jesus can return. That's what Jesus is saying here. And the message is about the kingdom. And then finally, I'm scooting back to Matthew 6 because I think this is one of the most important verses in regards to the kingdom. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mm. If we don't know what the kingdom is, what are we seeking? And all these things will be added to you. So I'm going to have the mic runners go ahead and get up. Here's what I would like maybe two or three people to volunteer to share. Uh, and that is this. Understanding that the kingdom is important, that we need to understand it. Would somebody please be bold enough to just share what they think their definition of kingdom is? What does, what does kingdom mean? Okay, here and here. 
Go ahead and, and just state your name too so everybody knows. My name is Adam. Uh, kingdom, when I think of kingdom, the first thing that comes to mind is king. It's a place of his reign. And uh, then you have the kingdom of also a king is a, is a dad and to a prince. And he's in his castle, if you want to think of a castle. And uh, that is still his kingdom, is his, is his castle, his, pl his place of reign in the house. Um, and then I, I believe that there's a spiritual kingdom as well. But, I mean, God fulfills all of the kingdoms. Um, I believe that we are his kingdoms in a, ser in a, in a way of servants in his kingdom, uh, but we're also the prince at the table, looking across from him, adopted into his kingdom. And so it's, it's a place of uh, work, it's a place of uh, comfort, it's a place of receiving uh, everything that you need in your life, um, as well as uh, the king has uh, missions, he has goals, and we get to partner with him in, in those when we know him in relationship. That's good. Thank you. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think the kingdom of God is a... Uh, my name's Justin, by the way. Uh, it's a life, it's a family, it's a place, it's a business that's under the tangible authority of a king, like Adam was saying. Uh, so I would say, I would emphasize that it's the conscious submission to an authority, like King Jesus. Mm, conscious submission to authority, King Jesus, love that. Somebody else, yeah. Um, when I think of kingdom, I don't think of democracy or republic or things like that. Not everyone gets a say that the king is who has all authority in the kingdom. And it's what he decrees, not what everybody else. Like. I mean, as much as we have it here in the United States, we are not the example of a kingdom. Um, it's the king that has all authority. Ooh, it's really good. I'm glad you brought that up uh, because, to be quite honest with you, we Americans don't like the idea of kingdom. We don't. We don't because it means that we don't have all the free rights that we have so enjoyed in this country. And it kind of goes, it kind of is a juxtaposition against what everything we live for and everything that we've been encouraged to do, a kingdom mentality uh, is quite a bit different. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Amy. Thank you. Um, definition, dictionary definition of kingdom. A country, a state, or territory ruled by a king or a queen. For example, the kingdom of Netherlands. Number two, a realm associated with or regarded as being under the control of a particular person or thing. And then the example is given the kingdom of dreams. Kind of interesting because it's, it's more of a concept, like, like I'm subjecting myself to dreams, the kingdom of dreams. There's a school in Florida, um, University of Central Florida, I was looking online. If you go to follow and, and be a fan of that team or any of those teams, if you want to buy... Uh, hoodies, and if you want to buy hats, you actually have to go to a page that says the kingdom of UCF. Kind of an interesting concept there. Biblical definition, sovereignty, royal power, sovereignly authority, rule, especially of God, both in the world and in the hearts of men, properly a kingdom, the realm 
in which a king sovereignly reigns. Okay, a kingdom. It is the realm in which a king sovereignly rules. I'll read it one more time because here's what I want and pray that this will happen is that the next time somebody says, what is the kingdom? You'll be able to raise your hand right away and you'll be able to give a definition because here's the definition. It is the realm in which a king sovereignly reigns. A kingdom always requires a king. A kingdom always requires a king. As the kingdom of God does with King Jesus, especially refers to the rule of Christ in believers' heart. The first thing I want you to know, I've got three things today. First thing I want you to know, that in order to have a kingdom, there has to be a king. Okay, would have been a good amen place right there. Okay, here comes the, uh, the American in us now coming out. In order to have a kingdom, there must be a king. Okay, so now my question to you is, who's your king? And the truth is, the enemy has come in and tried to help us misunderstand and misappropriate the understanding of what kingdom is, and he's tried to place several different kings in our lives, so much so that we serve different kingdoms and we don't even know we're doing it. The example of the UCF, the kingdom for their, their sports fanatics, their fans, that, man, oh, that should be concerning. And yet we all do it, Yes. Could it be, could it be that it's why many popular brands brand themselves because they realize that if we fall under a certain brand or if we can give our allegiance to that brand, then they've got us and we'll spend our money, we'll spend our time, and we'll make those things the king and we'll serve that kingdom, missing out on what we really need to be serving, and that is Jesus Christ as king. Yes? Okay, you guys Okay. <laughs> I know kind of this, I just praying through, I was like, oh, this, this could be kind of a difficult word to receive. Because for me, there are, there are several opportunities to serve other little kingdoms. And a kingdom must have a king in it, right? And so it literally means that I'm putting myself in allegiance to something other than Jesus Christ. Okay. I'm a huge Broncos fan. I, I am. And early on in, in my life, it was a kingdom. Thankfully, I, as, as I've grown, I don't, I, I've, or maybe just because they're not that good anymore. I, <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, pulled, it, it's pulled away from that. But when I was a kid, when I was a kid, and this is no joke, if they would lose, I would cry. And I would get super angry. And my parents used to make me go chop wood to get the frustration out because they were like, oh, you're a, you're a monster. I, can't, I, I bet they were hoping the Broncos won all the time, not because they were fans, but because they were afraid of me. That's, it's, it's funny how it infiltrates. And I make light of that and I tell that story, but the truth is it was a misappropriation of my allegiance because we were created to serve a king, not the Broncos. And when we make whatever it is, the, the kingdom or the king that we serve, we are missing out on the fullness of what God has for us and basically the overflow that he wants to, to accomplish through us. Yes? yes? Now, here is the most, I don't know if discouraging or disappointing, but for me, and I'm pretty sure pretty much everybody else in this room, 
The king that we really like to put on the throne is me. Is ourselves, yes? And we live in America, which actually encourages us to protest, to speak our voice, to be heard, make sure that you know, everybody around you knows where your position is, what your stance is. Guess what you're doing? You're putting yourself on the throne and you're saying, I want everybody to understand and follow my kingdom. And Jesus says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Dan. And please fill in your name there. Because when we do that, we don't get all these things added onto us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added. So many times I'll get people that say, man, I just want God to come in and intervene and do something for me. Or I want him to satisfy this thing. Or he won't answer this prayer. And yet I watch these people put themselves on their own throne. And they won't submit to what God has for them. Or what God is asking for them. And so we need to understand as we're delving into the kingdom, we need to understand that a kingdom doesn't exist without a king. And so we have to, church, put Jesus on the throne of our lives. We have to. So point two going from that is in order to put a king on our throne... We really need to understand who the king is. Yes? And here's the beauty of this. The Lord actually gives us the opportunity to put whoever we want to on our throne. We can put ourselves. We can put the sports team. We can put him. He, he allows us to do that. It's called free will. He gives us the free will to do that. So I want to speak a little bit into the understanding of who this king is and go back in time and give you just a little bit of of quick history about even the Israelites. So we have the Israelites, God speaks to Abraham, gives him the covenant. They go into slavery in Egypt, as most of us know. After 400 years plus, Moses goes to them. All these things happen at Pharaoh. The Israelites leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea. I'm mean, just thinking about this. They cross the Red Sea. It parts. A million people, they say, more and more. They go across and dry land. The Egyptians follow them. They turn around and watch the waters come down and crush the pursuers. I would think that would be enough to say you're king forever. <laughs> nope. They started grumbling within the next day or two, because they started getting hungry, they started getting thirsty, telling Moses, we just want to go back to Egypt. How easy it is to go back to a kingdom. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So we have Moses lead them 40, 40 years in the desert because they didn't believe that God could actually help them to do that. So generation passes, new generation comes up. Uh, Moses strikes the rock twice times when he was supposed to just speak to it. So God said, sorry, you can't go into the, into the promised land. So Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. They conquer all of these cities and they start to actually um, inhabit the land. And Joshua leads them through. And then Joshua passes away. And we have this very interesting time after Joshua passes away that they don't really have um, a specific leader from the Lord. In the Bible, it's the book of Judges. And we see three or 400 years go by where they just have these random judges. And it's very interesting because the judges, when they would come into the scene, 
I believe a majority of them, if not all of them, they all sought the Lord. And so they would lead the people in the direction of the Lord. And when that judge would die, they would have a season where the Israelites would just go, no, we're going to do whatever we want. We're our own kings. And the Lord would be grieved and another judge would come in. And that's kind of the story how that, that goes on. And it's interesting because in Judges, it says this in verse 17, 6. It says it in verse 21, 25. I think it says it in a few other places. But it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. Everybody did as they saw fit. Everybody did as they saw fit. Does anybody know of a, of a time that seems like where everybody's doing as they see fit? Are we not living in something very similar to that right now? There's Judges, the book of Ruth, and then it goes into 1 Samuel. And don't have enough time to go into even just the power of, of Ruth. You could read through that and just amazing aspects of that in regards to this story of being a king. But Samuel, at the beginning of Samuel, we learn that his mom dedicated him to the Lord. And he begins to hear the voice of the Lord and he begins to be the high priest of, of Israel and everybody respects him. He begins to lead King Saul and there's conflict because Saul's not doing things the way that God wants to and so he, they part ways. Verse, or chapter eight, verse one through nine. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old? <laughs> Please don't ever come to me and just tell me that. Like that's their first statement. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. So now appoint a king to lead us. This is big, guys. They haven't had a king. They've had Moses, they've had Joshua, and some judges. They are going to Samuel, hey, you're about to die. Your kids don't do what you're, how you lead, so would you give us a king? Such as all the other nations have. But when, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God is saying, I've been their king all along, and they never have seen it. They haven't submitted to me as their king, and now they're crying out for a man to be a king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And so Samuel then proceeds to tell them, if you put a king, a man, as a king, all kinds of things are gonna take place because he's going to demand things and he's gonna take things from you. And as any human person, we are flawed and we are insufficient. And when we stand as a king, guess what? It's gonna just be corrupt. It's gonna be. Even the most well-meaning Man or woman becoming a king or queen is going to have some disorder in their lives, yes? yes? But God is saying, I am the king. 
I want to give you. I want to be your king. I want to be the one that you put on the throne. But the people were demanding a man. Could it be that our human nature would rather have a man tell us what to do rather than pursue the Lord? It's easier. We started this church five and a half years ago. DJ and Cami, Janelle, uh, Marcus, it, they, they've been through this process with us. Stephen has joined in. He came and then, come on, <laughs> stepped out, but he's still helping. I, I, we've had many people, I, in, the, in the pursuit of what we feel like the Lord has told us to do, we wanted to lead this church in a collaborative way. No top down, no king. But a group that comes up and makes decisions. Do you know how many times in the last five and a half years, DJ, maybe you could tell them, but how many times in the last five and a half years that I have said it would just be easier if I could just make a choice and tell everybody what to do? It would be easier from the leadership side of things. It would be easier from the follow, followership. I don't know if that's a word. Um, it would be easier, yes? It's always easier to be told what to do. Somebody was, we were talking with somebody the other night and this, this thought came to my mind. You know, one of the things that I want to be known for as pastor is this. He always made me go to Jesus. He never told me what to believe. He always told me who to get it from. That's what I want to be known for. And I know that frustrates people. I know some people probably sitting in here listening to me right now would just look at me and say, Pastor Dan, tell me what to think about this. Tell me what to believe. Tell me what how my position should be. No, not gonna do it. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus Christ and the king that he is and the fact that he came, died, rose again so we could have direct access to the Father so we could get that information directly from the king. Church, don't make a king out of another man. Let's make Jesus the king. Now, in order to do that, we need to, to, to really subject ourselves to, to him. And I, we were talking about his teaching team. Marcus said this, God receives maximum glory within free will. God gets glory when we choose to make him king of all areas of our life. God has authority over all, but he does not make anyone do anything. That's the power. If you want to give God glory, put him on the throne room of your life. We say it, we say it with our words, we sing it, God, we want to give you glory, and then we go, do it? I struggle. I'm really good in here. Man, for some reason, when I step out there, I struggle. Anybody else? And it is my heart's desire to bring him glory, but many times I do not. Why? Because I'm putting myself on the throne instead of putting him on the throne. We've been created We've been created by him to give him glory. And those of you that have you on the, king, on the throne of your kingdom, you don't like that statement. Let that be a litmus test. How does that resonate with you? You were created to give God glory. Where's the amens here? We were created to give God glory, not obtain the glory for ourselves. Man, DJ said this, don't start with an earthly view of what a king is. 
But you have to have God's perspective. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to have the mic runners run around. I, let's, let's talk about this king. Let's talk about this king for just a minute. What are some of the attributes and the characteristics of this king? What are some of the qualities? What are the, some of the, the ways that he's touched your life? Would you please be bold enough and courage to share with us just maybe a few things about this king? What are some of the attributes and characteristics that you've seen in your life? I found with me he doesn't apologize for having a very strong opinion <laughs> of how I should live my life. So when he comes and wants to guide me in a certain direction, in, in a relationship or in a way of, of living, I find that he's very gentle, but he's very self-assured that his way is better than what I'm trying to do. Mm, that's good. That's TJ, by the way. Hi, I'm Ellie. I've been reading through Leviticus in my devotional time, and what I've been really surprised to learn from that book is just seeing how reasonable God is and how fair he is. Like when it talks about the sacrifices, oftentimes they'll say, but if you can't afford this type of sacrifice, then you can do this. So like God is just such a reasonable and fair and just God. Okay, so he has a strong truth about him. He's a reasonable and fair and just God. What else? And, and I think of self, selfishness that as a king, he wants to also serve. And I think about what Jesus did. He gave his life for us. Um, mm. I look at <clears throat> the example that he did. He laid his life down. Yeah. Um, mm. And trying to pay, you know, trying to even duplicate that is just mind-blowing, you know, but that's what, what we need to that's do good. is to be selfish, selfish less um, in our um, desire to serve him. Good. Selfless servant, yes? Selfless servant. What else? Right here? My name is Desiree. Um, he's steered by love. Ooh. I feel like every decision that he makes is like with the thought of love in mind and everything he does is with, I mean, it's like, how do you even comprehend or begin to put into words like, well, he is love. He is the essence of love. His, his father's heart, his bridegroom heart, his friend heart, his brother heart, his is all relational love-based. Love it. God is love, yes? Written by John. God is love. What else? Hey, I'm Lauren. Um, what I think about, where I think I, my mind can't really wrap itself around um, the way that God is king, because so many in, in our worldly experience, like kings come to, to subjugate, to rule over but God comes and sets us free. Um, and mm. as much as he is so much higher than every other king, he isn't selfish and, and 
demanding of us on one hand, and yet he is worthy of all of our obedience and all of our adoration. And so he is just a different sort of, like he's a servant, he's a lover, he's a father. He invites us into his kingdom, um, (laughs) which is just kind of mind-boggling. Absolutely amazing. Love, love that. Just doesn't demand. He could, but he doesn't demand the, he's, he's the server, right? He doesn't demand the servitude. Love that. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Robin. Um, we've seen in our family lately God being this protector. And when mm. he's king over his kingdom and those that are in his kingdom and loyal and his followers and his people, he encamps around those and he protects his people. And we've seen that in mighty, mighty ways. That's amazing. Protector. Love that. Go ahead. I'm Margaret. And um, he lovingly convicts us because he is is so forgiving that he wants us to forgive. And Hmm. I've had struggles in my life of forgiving people who did something to my children or to my husband or to me. And... The Holy Spirit lovingly <laughs> keeps working, <laughs> and if we will listen and obey, we, have, we know we have to forgive if we're going to be forgiven ourselves. And when we get forgiven, it's such peace and joy to our life. Wow. So. Church, um, this is one of the most loving women I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. This is DJ's mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, for you to, you to say that, <laughs> that... that Makes me feel like none of us else have any. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yep, he's a forgiver, right? He gives us he gives us a loving conviction. I've said this many times, but I'll say it again. God loves you too much to keep you where you are at. He loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. Yeah, I was just gonna say um, one of the things that always comes to mind for me about God. I'm Ashley, by the way. Um, is it's like in one of the Narnia books, but it's where um, this little girl's like wandering around the forest and there's this big, huge lion and she's been looking for water and then she comes up to this stream and she realizes that this big, massive lion that we know is Aslan or is God Mm. um, is standing by the stream. And so she like stops and she's like, well, basically like, are you safe? And he just says like, no, I... I'm not safe, and and explains that like I can't make that promise, and then um, mm. and then she said, well, I guess I go find another stream, and he says there is no other stream, and so it's just like this, like unapologetically, I'm not gonna necessarily like sit here and give you what you believe your heart most desires, but I'm good. Like, and that's the way the beaver explains him too, is just like Aslan's not safe, but he's good. And, um, and so I just think that God unapologetically moves forward with his purpose and his timeline and who he is um, in order to bring the most amount of people to himself. And sometimes we don't get necessarily what it is that we would want out of that or out of what our expectations mm-hmm. are on him, but he, he's going to be true to who he is rather than our own expectations of him. He's got a plan. Yep, and it's the king's plan. It's not our plan, right? So that's good. A couple more, and we'll move on. Uh, my name's Amy. I had a, a picture um, 
several years ago um, of of an earthly king, like specifically like in England or whatever, when the queen would come out, she would condescend to come out, like, but she was always in a distance. She was in a carriage. She was, the people would come out to see her, but it was always at a distance. She's waving from a carriage, this kind of thing. But our king dwells with us. He comes and he lives with us and he's not distant. Um, so he's good. right with us. That's so good. And I think you're reading ahead in the notes. I'm Tyrone. Um, I was thinking that uh, our king is so uh, infinitely uh, unbelievable that he gives us a free will, regardless if our free will really hurts him. Oof. That's good, Tyrone. So we get free will, even though. It may hurt him or even hurt ourselves. Yep, one from the text line. Yes. Okay, we'll do three, three more. Okay, so from online it says, God doesn't just invite the elite or the most together or the most royal into his courts. He invites everyone, the outliers, the peasants, the downtrodden. Mm. His courts are open to all. So he includes everybody. Oh, love that. Not us four no more, right? Yeah, when you're asking, I, I just felt like the Lord was like, we have this clock that automatically sets to the, I was, I looked it up. It's the National Institute of Standards. It's like a signal in Fort Collins. So I felt like the king is the standard or oh, the, standard. the, the true north, like the, just, just how we can navigate. Like Must, he's the standard. I love that. Okay. One more. My name's Adam. Uh, the Lord put on my heart that he's not a respecter of persons. There's actually scriptures in the Bible that talks about the king going and inviting all the people of the kingdom, like the lower class and the peasants and the poor, to come into the banquet table. And like he's a king that welcomes his entire kingdom. And as well as he doesn't ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do or hasn't gone before and done. And so like I think of a king like sending an army out into battle. He's a king that's on the front lines leading the group, you know? Like he's yes. not at the castle protected, like calling shots. He's the one that's leading and, and doing it first and, and, and leading uh, by serving. That's awesome. Okay. Love that. That is that right there is worth the price of admission, in my opinion, because he is a king that understands. He's a king that's gone before. He's a king that has suffered in ways that most of us will never suffer. He, he's, he's modeled that, right? Okay. Don't have time to ask this question, but what did you not hear? Here's what I didn't hear. I didn't hear anybody say he's an angry king, a mad king, a mean king, an unjust king. Uh, I didn't hear any really negative aspect unless you consider the fact that he has his own purpose and a strong opinion about that purpose and he's going to accomplish it. That's what a king does. But in the midst of that, he includes us and invites us into that. And nowhere in the description of any of the quality or attributes of this king is anybody saying anything negative? Now, maybe it's just because you didn't raise your hand, but I would submit this. We have a king that is good. He's a good king. Why don't we serve him? Why? I'm asking myself. Why do I give a portion of my life to him and another portion to whatever else? Man, this is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is the one that is so good and so awesome. And I believe it's because the enemy comes in and tries to do whatever he can to persuade us to see other king, worship other kingdoms, to get involved in other places. 
Point three is simply this. The king is worthy. He's worthy of it all. And our teaching team, Lauren, said this. The kingdom of God doesn't come to conquer. It comes to liberate. She spoke to that just a minute ago a little bit. It doesn't come to conquer, but comes to liberate, to give us freedom. And then, it says, and then she said this, but we have to move towards it. So I want to encourage you, church, move towards the kingdom of God. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says this, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons. So he's speaking about the, the idea that the Pharisees are saying, you're doing this by the devil. He says, but if it is by the spirit of God. So he's saying, no, it's not by the devil, but it's by the spirit of God. But if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he's trying to tell the people there, your king is here. Your king is, the one you've been waiting for is here. You are calling me a devil, but I'm upon you. I'm right here. Luke 17. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Church, the fact that Jesus Christ died so that we could have the Holy Spirit given to us gave us the, the gift of the kingdom of God. And when, if you've asked Jesus to come into your life, you were given the Holy Spirit. How much of the Holy Spirit did you get? All of him. You were given him and he represents the king. Oh, by the way, he is the king. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the king. You have the king in you. Oh, man, I thought that would be really exciting and preaching. Woo, yeah. Okay, you have the king in you. Okay, here comes, here comes the rub. Choosing the kingdom and the direction of the king at times will be difficult and hard, but it'll always be worth it. I put these notes together. We always submit them to the teaching team and have people rethink. Lauren, Lauren actually wrote back and she said, at the end you say choosing the kingdom will sometimes be difficult. She goes, I think it's 100% of the time. <laughs> choosing the kingdom will never be the path of least resistance or the comfortable or most gratifying path. Seeking the kingdom is best case, intentional work and temporarily inconvenient. Worst case, it costs you everything. Okay, so we have a really good king, but we learn in Acts 14, Paul is, you know, is sharing this, and it says this, they preach, sorry, Luke is, is telling us about this in Acts. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthened, or strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. This is what they said to them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so the disciples understood there's a, there's a rub here. And the rub is this, that when we choose the kingdom, we have an enemy that is reigning over this earth that hates that. And he is going to resist it. I have seen this. I, I've been in ministry for 30 years, a little bit more actually. And I have seen Almost every time we put somebody into a staff position, they've, called, they've been called to a, uh, a higher calling in, in what the Lord would have, 
almost every time the attacks are brutal. If you want to ask, just ask the Larsons. We brought them into a kid's church and all hell broke out in their family. It's it's crazy and it happens too often to be just a coincidence. The enemy hates it when we put Jesus on the throne of our hearts and there's going to be there's going to be pushback. There's going to be tension. There's going to be a difficult road in the middle of that. A few quotes, one more scripture, we'll be done. In the middle of this conversation of the teaching team, Joshua said this, that he had recently heard a quote that said this, the pain of hard work is cheaper. Listen to this. The pain of hard work is cheaper than the pain of regret. It's worth it. To give our allegiance to this king, it's worth it. It may be hard work, but it's worth it. And he will give us the grace to do it. DJ said, he heard a quote that went like this. Sometimes a familiar captivity feels more comfortable than an unfamiliar freedom. Jude Wilhite. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of our country, said this. I prefer, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. Man, that's going to be uncomfortable. Dangerous freedom is going to be uncomfortable. Church, it's going to create a little bit of issue in our hearts and our lives. It's going to create some conflict. There's going to be pushback by the enemy, but let's go for it. Let's put King on the Jesus on the throne as King of our lives, and let's be sold out for Him. Yes, let's give our all to Him. Let's give everything that we have to Jesus. And yeah, it might be difficult, and it might not feel comfortable, but it's worth it. Let's do this. Let's live dangerously for Jesus, yes? I've said it often, but I, I mean it when I say this. I hope you're always a little nervous to come to church because we want the Lord to move in this place. We don't just want to come and have another little nice speech and then walk out and go live our... No, I want to be challenged each and every day to serve Jesus as king and you guys challenged me to do that, and I hope I challenge you to do that, and let's do this together as a fellowship, amen? We get this. I don't think there's probably anything in your life that you haven't had to give sweat and tears to. If you get married, is that super easy? <laughs> yes. Some wise man over there. Some wise man. Uh, how about this? Fathers, mothers, parenting, is it easy? Oh, but it's so worth it, yeah? It's amazing. If you want to climb a 14er here in Colorado, you're going to, it's going to be difficult. It's hard. And you get to get to the top, and you're like, oh, man, this is amazing. Do you know what the hardest part is? Going down. down. You think it'd be easy. It's hard. Exercise. You want to get in shape? It's hard. It's difficult. There's so many different things in life we see this. You know what? Let's just understand that when we put Jesus as king, it may be difficult, but it is so worth it. I'll finish by saying this. When we choose a king, we will overflow into a world needing to see the king. The world is going to see what king you put on your throne. The world is going to see what king you put on your throne.
You're going to exalt and you are going to give glory because we are made to worship. You are going to worship the king of your kingdom and the world will see it. Who is it? Or what is it? Who is it? Psalms 24, seven through 10. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he? This king of glory? He's the Lord almighty. He is the king of glory. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for being the king of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace this word and embrace the understanding that you spoke about kingdom all the time. And Lord, help us to embrace that. And when we pray, let heaven come here on earth, help us to remember it's about your kingdom coming here and your will being being done as king. And so, Lord, I pray that every single one of us would just listen to your Holy Spirit and that we would make the conscious decision to put you on the throne of our hearts. And, Lord, I pray in specific for anybody that's here this morning that has never done that, I pray that you would seize their heart right now. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want to encourage you strongly. Invite him into your life. And it's simply by saying, Jesus, I want to make you king. And not only does the Bible say that we are saved from an eternal damnation, but when we make him the Lord of our life, he begins to rule and reign, and he has our best intentions in mind. As I said earlier, he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. And so simply just ask him to come into your heart. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, and we love you. In your name. Amen. Oh, wait. Hey, my name is Peter. I, I'm sorry, Dan. I know, and I want to end this. Um, at the end, before you we were praying, sorry, I'm like, really, I, this is a lot of like even conflict for me. I was like, and you guys know how bold I can be, but I was like, this is such an interruption. So I apologize for that. But as you were saying that I wrote down is truth and inspiration as you speak and tell us this, as we share, as we come in collaboration and even speak it ourselves with our own words is that enough to move change? Is seeing the Red Sea part enough? In history, it shows that it isn't. And so hmm. the inspiration and power that you speak, that we speak, that we can come together and speak it, how, if the Red Sea parting isn't enough, what is? And I was like, it's Jesus. That's what they didn't have. Like, it can't be just us making a decision to do this and to follow this. Like, I agree, I agree with every word that was spoken. It was beautiful as a family to come around and say these things. But it is never enough to will ourselves to do this. We will always fall short. And so at the end of this amazing message, I find myself like, well, how do we change? How do we do this? And ultimately, it's, it's remembrance. Like, as we were doing community, oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I was sitting with my daughter and I'm doing community kind of alone with her because it's so important that she understands what we're doing in it and that it is about remembering him. It's not about our strength. It's not about our will. It's not about us seeing the Red Sea. It's about Jesus. And I know that we're declaring that, but I want to, us to know that it's, it is through prayer. It is through, I, the big thing is, Jesus said, it says in the Bible, that um, 
rejoice always, uh, be grateful in all circumstances, and pray continuously, for this is the will of your life through Christ Jesus. And I believe that if we miss through Christ Jesus, we will not be able to live in his kingdom. And it is through the impact that only he can make in us. It's not through a speech and a will. So sorry, I, can, I don't want to ramble on, but guys, I just want you to know that it is only through praying. And it is only through connection with him that it, this can happen. It is not through, even, even collaboration and community is so powerful and strong. We need that. But we need that, as you said in the beginning, show, show me how to live for Christ so that I can live for Christ better. And so that is why we're here. And it's not going to just end with an inspirational, powerful message. And I think that's where we've always fallen short because we leave these doors hoping that an inspiration, a parting of the Red Sea is enough to change us. And it's never enough. It is only through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just as a reminder, this was just an introduction. Our heart, Peter, is absolutely that. And I love that you did that for two reasons. Number one, I love that you had the boldness to go, nope, we're not done yet. I want to give everybody that freedom in this room. This is, hey, let's, let's do this thing together. Let's do this life together. But number two, is your passion in your heart for Jesus and that not only you would know him, but that everybody would? Man, that, that is what's going to challenge everyone in this room. Let's do that for one another. Don't, let's not just rely on the pastor or the teaching person that's up here. Let's do this together as a body of Christ. And that's what we're going to be teaching in the rest of this little mini-series of kingdom. Is what does it look to bring the kingdom into our life so that we can overflow into this world? Because absolutely, you're right. We could have a Red Sea and two days later be complaining again. Man, this is so true. <laughs>